Amen. Well, good morning. I want to take a moment and again say thank you for your patience with my voice this morning. Uh, if you've ever had one of those mornings where you woke up and you felt like the allergies were getting the best of you, and yes, this is allergies. No, for my nurses in the room, this is not a cold. It's not the flu. It's not COVID. You know, I've been tested for all that. It's just good old-fashioned allergies. I was reminded of that this week as we were in the mountains. Um, when the temperature goes uh, to a 20-degree drop, as I mentioned earlier, uh, that just messes me up. I mean, this is, um, I remember being a football coach on Friday evenings in the fall, and for literally about mid-season, uh, this is about how I sounded. And so um, one of the things you probably don't know about coaching on the sidelines is we generally have a cooler of stuff to kind of get us through a game, and each of us had our own. Uh, that we had uh, our football operations person took care of. And in my cooler, I'll go ahead and tell you, it had uh, two Coca-Colas in it, about four water bottles. And every week I had a full bag of cough drops um, that I went through about half a bag every Friday night. And so um, I don't know if that's healthy or not. I don't know if that's calorie counting. Um, Justin just looked at me and said, no, bro, that is bad. That is real bad. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. But anyway, it got me through. Uh, football season. So anyway, just bear with me. Um, I was reminded that this morning, kind of frustrated with myself, honestly, because I hate it when I sound like this. I especially hate it when I start coughing. Uh, but then by God's grace, um, I'm thankful for the grace that you show and listening to me deal with this. I'm also thankful that um, we have other great minds who came way before me, men like Paul, men like Jonathan Edwards, who were monotone. Paul was weak and sick uh, a lot of the times. And so I'm reminded that God's word will never return void. Um, not that I'm comparing myself to Jonathan Edwards. Absolutely not. I cannot write like he can. Um, not comparing myself to Paul. Um, I don't know if I, can, if I could have the pain, uh, the tolerance of pain that he had. Uh, but in each of these men and their stories, I'm thankful for the grace and the goodness that God showed and the fact that he was the one that was glorified regardless of what it was that they were going through. So thankful for that. So having said that, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're still in our study through Philippians, still walking through our series called Joyful Unity. We're going to be looking at verse 19 until verse 30 uh, this morning. And so before we jump into this passage this morning, I want to again... Uh, thank several people. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Forrest for leading us so faithfully this morning. Forrest has been filling in for our associate pastor, Corey Hires, who normally leads us in worship. Uh, Corey is away today. They're enjoying a baby moon, I believe that's what it's called. Um, help me out, parents. Is it, a ba- is it a baby moon? Okay. So they're away, except they took all their kids with them. So I don't know how much of a baby moon this actually is for them. But uh, they are away. Um, Beth and Corey are expecting their fourth child. Uh, probably any moment when they get back, uh, she could be at the hospital. So uh, we need to remember them and to pray for them. And as we get updates, we'll keep you guys updated. So they're away today. So Forrest, thank you for being uh, so faithful and leading us uh, this week. And again, I want to thank Jason uh, for faithfully preaching the word of God. Jason, did he just leave? Did he just walk out? Is that what happened? Unbelievable. You put a guy in the pulpit and then you get back in the pulpit and he leaves. You see what happens there? I could talk about him because he stepped out of the room. Uh, but anyway, I'm thankful for Jason and for this brother and for his willingness to, to step in and faithfully preach the word of God. Man, I got to tell you guys, I am so encouraged uh, because it is an incredible encourage to, encouragement to me, whether it's Forrest, uh, who's one of our deacons, or, or Jason, who uh, I believe one day is going to be in a pulpit um, as a pastor, whether it's one of our elders. I'm thankful that by God's grace, we have so many wonderful leaders who can who can step in and who can teach and who can lead and who faithfully serve and, and they can faithfully preach the word of God. I think there's just something good and right and beautiful that you have uh, brothers who can step in the pulpit and you don't have to look outside of the church, that God is raised raising up these leaders uh, within our church today. And so for that, I am truly thankful. Now, having said all that, let's keep this series going and keep moving forward um, in and through Philippians. And uh, man, I want to tell you that um, that we are just continuing to move through this letter. We're going to continue to walk through this letter together. We're going to finish it right before Christmas as we get into the Advent season. And so I'm really looking forward to that as well. And so having said that, let's look at our text this morning in Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians uh, chapter two. Now, before we dive into it, I want you to see that Paul in our passage today in verses 19 through 30, he's literally giving us uh, what amounts to a travel itinerary for both uh, Timothy and also for a man that we're going to know as Epaphroditus this morning. Now, in the midst of giving us these travel plans, Paul is going to show that both of these brothers are examples 
worth watching. And they are men who are living lives that are worthy for us to pay attention to and worthy for us to follow as well. Now, in thinking about examples worth watching, I want I want you to think about this for a moment. Have you ever given much thought to how non-Christians, particularly in our country and in our society, see the world of Christianity? I mean, have you ever thought about that for just a moment? Have you asked yourself, man, I wonder as a non-Christian how they view the Western church? Well, I imagine if we, for a moment, just took a step back and we took a look at what was being communicated, it may cause us to do some self-reflection. I would imagine it would cause us to do uh, some rethinking of what it is that we are saying and what it is that we're doing. I mean, here's the reality. Many people who live in our society today who, are, who call themselves non-Christians, these folks are now turned off by the phony religiosity that seems to be displayed everywhere they look. You see, they see how we act. They listen to how we speak. But then they're also smart enough to pick up a Bible and read what the Word of God says. And what they realize is what the Word of God says and how Western Christians act and speak are actually two different things. And so they reject Jesus Christ and they reject his church because of the poor representation that we offer. Now, this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would actually call cheap grace. You see, Bonhoeffer defines it this way. He says, "Those the cheap grace is for those who claim the name Christian but seem no different from anyone else. You see, as Christians today, as those who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we need to offer a better example than the one that is currently being seen by our society today. So as we look at our text this morning, this is exactly what Paul is doing for the Philippians as he offers them two men, two examples of men who have been transformed by the saving grace of God and who are now living lives for the glory of God. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me now to Philippians chapter 2. And we will begin reading in verse 19. And once you have found your place there, if you can and you're able, I would invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all as has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this morning. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to to spend the next few moments together in your word. Father, I pray that as we have sung the word this morning, as we've heard the word spoken, as the word has been prayed over us, Father, I pray that you would continue to be glorified as we unpack this passage together. 
Father, we ask that by your grace, through your word, that you and you alone would speak. And so, Father, we pray in these next few moments together that you would be glorified. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for loving us first. We thank you that you delight in us. And Father, we pray in these next few moments that you would move mightily. Father, again, we love you. We say thank you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, when you first read this passage in the context of what it is that we've already covered, you clearly see this, this passage really comes across as kind of a downer. I mean, let's just be honest for a second. Many scholars have already spoken on Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 30, and they will simply tell you that in this passage, there is not a single verse in this text that we're going to be looking at today that contains anybody's favorite passage. In fact, I imagine if we went around the room and we asked every Christian in the room, hey, what is your favorite passage in the Word of God? I would imagine that maybe one, probably none of you would say it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 20 or 21 or 24 or 25. You see, this is a passage that often is overlooked when it comes to the letter to Philippi. It's a passage that often we probably read in our quiet times and we, we probably blow right by it, ready to get on to, to something more encouraging that we later find in Philippians chapter 3. You see, when you look at this passage this morning in the context of its letter, Paul has already opened the letter with a, with a heartfelt thanksgiving and a, and a prayer for the people. He then moves into a Christ-centered ambition, and then from there he gives us a a thought-provoking challenge, which is then followed by a plea for unity that comes from humility. And then from there, as we already read this morning together, he gives us a hymn of the mindset that we as believers in Christ should share and have together. And so before we then move from all these words that Paul has already said, by the time we get to verse 19 through 30, and then you begin to look ahead into chapter 3, which we're going to see some even more powerful and encouraging words from Paul, Paul now draws our attention in our text today to really what can amount to the travel plans of two men. I mean, literally what you're looking at is a travel itinerary. And so I imagine that most of you may read this passage and you may think to yourself, why can't we just skip this one? I mean, I get it. There's Timothy. Paul's eventually going to send him. There's Epaphroditus. He is being sent. Well, my hope and prayer today is that we will see that this passage is actually calling us to Christ-likeness. And so my hope is that we would consider Paul's words here very carefully. So let's ask the question this morning, why do we need a travel itinerary right here in the word of God? Well, clearly and simply, Paul believed in communication. He believed that communication was important, and so he wanted the church to be aware of some of the plans for some of their own leaders. Now remember, Paul didn't have social media, okay? Paul couldn't just tweet about Epaphroditus, He couldn't send out a a Facebook message about, about Timothy. He couldn't make a Zoom call. But he still wanted to be clear in what was happening in the life of these two brothers. So this letter is actually one of the few times in Paul's writings that we actually find the travel itinerary right smack in the middle of the letter as opposed to at the end of the letter that we see in some of Paul's other writings. Now, as we're going to see this morning, Paul was clearly intentional about what he was writing. And you see, in this travel itinerary, Paul wanted to provide two examples of what he has been talking about in previous parts of his letter. You see, Paul has already given instructions to the church. Paul has already given imperatives to the church to follow. And so now he gives them living examples of how he wants the Philippians to live. In fact, in thinking on this passage, it's D.A. Carson who writes this. He says, much Christian character is as much caught as it is taught. 
That is, it is picked up by constant association with mature Christians. We model Christian behavior. You see, modeling takes place all the time, whether we take it into account or not. So as we're going to see this morning, we have two brothers in Christ who are being held up as model servants for all to follow. Now again, you may be asking this morning, isn't this passage a bit boring? I mean, when you read it, isn't this passage a bit mundane to consider just two examples? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, you're correct this morning. There are no light shows in our passage. There are no conferences in our passage. There's no stunts in our passage this morning. There's no glitter, there's no smoke, and no, there are no hobbits fighting orcs. But rather, what we have this morning are just faithful men living godly lives that don't look all that extraordinary to those of us today. And you see, here's the reality for us as a church today. You see, we've become too much like the world. We are always looking for the dramatic. In fact, as a church, we, we tend to get drawn to the extraordinary as a product. If you don't believe me, just look at the media for a little bit. Turn on the news. What's always on the news? It's always dramatic stories. I mean, even our weather has become over-dramatized. Have you noticed that? I mean, it still blows me away. We're getting into winter. Now, I understand that we name hurricanes, and that makes sense to me. That is a massive storm in the middle of the water. But do you know once upon a time we didn't even name hurricanes? Do you know the only time we would name a hurricane is when we thought it was going to make landfall in the United States? Now, all of a sudden, we're naming storms as they're coming off Africa. It's incredible. It's like all of a sudden a storm comes to Africa, and they give it a sticker. Hello, my name is... We've even gotten to a point as a society where we're now naming winter storms. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you, in the South, that's a big deal for us because we don't do winter. Okay, that's why we live in Florida. In fact, I remember living in Georgia. We'd get an inch of snow. We call that a blizzard, all right? An inch of snow up north, if they called it a blizzard, they were talking about Dairy Queen. But now all of a sudden we are naming winter storms. Even our, our, our media and our weather has become over-dramatized. And so here's what happens. Because of our need for drama, because of our desire for drama, case in point, look at social media, what happens is this. We now as a society get bored easily. We can no longer sit still and listen for 45 minutes, or we can no longer sit still for an hour and a half service. And so what happens is as Christians, we begin to downplay the faithful, normal Christian service that seeks to glorify God. And so here's the truth. Yes, there are going to be faithful Christians today who will live overseas as missionaries. And yes, even today, there are going to be Christians who will be martyred for their faith. However, for most of us in this room, faithful Christian living will look more like investing our lives in practical daily acts of service where God has placed us in this very moment. So as we get into our text this morning, I want us to see the examples of, of Timothy and Epaphroditus and, and see how we may imitate them, how we may honor those who, who serve like them, and then also how we can send others who are like them as well. So again, let's take a closer look this morning at these examples worth watching. The first example we're given is that of Timothy. We see this in verses 19 through 24. Now, Paul opens this text by saying, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Now, Paul tells the church that he's not sending Timothy right away, not because of anything that Timothy has done bad, but because of Timothy's compassion and because of Timothy's friendship to Paul. In fact, Paul says of Timothy, I have no one like him. 
You see, Paul knows a lot of people, but he also recognizes that there is no one in his life who is like Timothy. There is no one who matches Timothy in both attitude and character. And so Paul goes on to state of Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You see, in this moment, Paul tells us that Timothy is truly concerned for others. Clearly, it's Timothy who has a a compassionate, who is a compassionate servant of Jesus Christ and who also loves the church. Now, if you continue to read, you get into verse 21 and we see a clear contrast between Timothy's character and the characters of others that Paul knows. Paul speaks of these others and he says, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. You see, there are others who are going to call themselves believers. There are others who are going to call themselves leaders in the church. But the reality is these others only act in their own selfish motivations. These others that Paul is speaking of only care for themselves. Even when it seems like they are doing good for you and doing good by you, they are simply seeking to prop themselves up. And this was not the case for Timothy. Rather, Paul says that Timothy is only interested in serving Jesus Christ, who is his Lord. You see, for us today, we need to pay careful attention to what Paul is saying about Timothy. You see, serving Jesus Christ involves serving others within the church without seeking self-promotion. So our service to Jesus Christ and our service to Christ's church should flow from our love for others and for Jesus's glory as opposed to our own selfish agendas. Now in this passage, Paul is clearly acknowledging the tension that exists in the church at Philippi. Now I love this because I was talking about this with Aria earlier. Aria came and and just blessed me this morning. Um, By the way, you want to find an easy way to encourage your pastor? Come up to him before service and start talking to him about the passage he's going to preach. Thank you, young lady. That was wonderful. And she was asking me the question about uh, that verse 19 and what that news meant that Paul was looking for. And, and what we clearly find out from Paul is this, is that Paul is clearly acknowledging not only the good news that he hopes to hear and has been hearing, but at the same time, he's acknowledging the tension that is in the church at Philippi. Yet at the same time, Paul's going to tell the church in his letter back to them that Timothy is now someone they can trust. You see, this is my prayer for us today. My prayer for us as members of Southside Baptist Church is that we too will be the same kind of people that can be trusted within the church. That we would be the same kind of people that would pursue the same compassion that flows from a heart set on serving Jesus Christ. And so as a body of believers... We need to remember that we do not serve for the admiration of man, but rather we serve for the adoration of Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. So why do we serve? Do we serve for our own interests? Or do we serve for the glory of the Lord? Do we serve today with with a Christ-like compassion Or are we driven by our own accolades? You see, as a church, my prayer is that we would not become so self-absorbed that we begin living for the praise of others that ultimately we would miss the call of serving for the glory of God. Paul moves on in his text. In verse 22, we have these words. He says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Again, we see that Paul clearly loves Timothy. Now, if you were with us back when we were walking through First and Second Timothy, we've already established how much Paul loves Timothy. And so here Paul again shows us the family nature that he shares with Timothy, but not only with Timothy, but the family nature that we now share as a church. You see, whether you're happy to be here or not today, here's the reality. We are family. 
Again, did anybody have that song run through their head as soon as I said those words? Yeah, Miss Mary nodded at me. You're singing it. I bet you are. You see, Timothy wasn't just some random volunteer in the church. Timothy had proven his worth. Timothy had proven what his cause was and therefore his character could be trusted as one who was in the family of God. And so Paul continues. He says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Now Paul couldn't send Timothy right away. Why? Because Paul needed Timothy. Paul treasured Timothy's friendship. And so here we see that Timothy is a true friend who knows how to help sustain Paul. Now let me unpack that for just a moment. Because there's a lesson that we can learn between the relationship that Paul and Timothy share with one another. It's not only as the family of God, but also as friends. You see, the best friends are those who serve and care for you like Jesus Christ would serve and care for you. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, when it comes to our own friendships, are we that type of friend? Do we care for one another in the same way that Timothy cared for Paul, in the same way that Christ cares for his church? You see, as a true friend, a friend like Timothy, we've got to be someone who is present in each other's lives. We have to be willing to speak truth according to the word of God in each other's lives, whether that truth stings in the moment or not. We have to be the type of friend who strengthens one another when we are weak. The type of friends who, who pray for one another and who provide support and resources to one another when those moments are needed. Again, does this describe you? Does it describe me this morning? Now what Paul's going to do is he's, he's now going to move from the example of Timothy to now talking about a second brother who is also an example worth watching. And so when you look at verses 25 through 30, we now see our second example, which is the example of Epaphroditus. Now I've got to be honest with you guys for a moment. If I had a friend like Epaphroditus who had a name like Epaphroditus... I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we're only going to be together for one day, and that brother's getting a nickname, okay? I am not going around introducing my friends, this is Timothy, and this is Epaphroditus. I'm just not doing that. I'm going to mess that name up. I can't even imagine trying to write this brother's name down on a birthday card. I mean, that is a mouthful to say. Some of you guys need to think about this because some of you guys are parents or, or you're soon to be parents. You need to think about what you're about to name your kids, okay? And I'm going to give you the easiest thing to do to name your child. No, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, give your child a biblical name. I mean, come on, you're already thinking that anyway. But I want you to be careful with what biblical name you pick. Because if you give your son the name Epaphroditus, I want you to realize that one day they're going to be 16, sitting down to take an SAT, and they got to bubble that thing in on a Scantron. Man, you got to think about this. I mean, literally, I, I'm, I'm almost to a point where I'm fixing to start encouraging some of our families. Before you name your child, buy yourself a Scantron and fill that name in. And that's how you should determine what the name should be. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, based on what we see of Epaphroditus, here's the reality. I'm going to give him a nickname, okay? His nickname is either going to be EZ, and that's it. Or because of my roots and my background, I might give him the nickname of EZE. -E. I mean, seriously, anything would be better than Epaphroditus at this point. Why? Because this brother's relationship and friendship was easy for Paul. And so it would just make sense to give him that type of nickname. Now, I imagine for Paul, this, these type of nicknames and slang didn't exist in his day. But here's what we do know. We know that Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the church. We know that Epaphroditus was likely a, a Jewish convert who brought Paul financial help from the church at Philippi. And so Paul now sends him back because it was Epaphroditus who became sick. Now, we don't know what Epaphroditus had. We don't know why he had it or how he got it. 
Thank the Lord the media wasn't around then or otherwise we'd have known everything. But we know that whatever it was he had, he almost died from it. But then pay attention to what Paul says about him. Paul says, I want this brother honored. Why? Why would Paul point out that he wants Epaphroditus honored? Because in a culture that made a big deal out of honoring someone the way they did in Philippi, Paul may have been concerned that they would be ashamed of him because he didn't help like they thought he would. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like the the Western church today? When we bring on people and we have an expectation and all of a sudden they don't live up to our unrealistic expectations, what do we do? We quit. We leave. We dishonor them and cast them aside. Rather, coming back to our text, Paul tells us that this brother was a a huge help. Paul even says this brother was deserving of honor and he deserved a, a hero's welcome. In fact, it's Paul who tells us that Epaphroditus was a brother. In other words, Paul reminds the church of how we all became partners in in the gospel. We were all adopted into the family of God. So as a church, we are not only, we not only have a new relationship with God because of Jesus Christ, but we also now have a new relationship with one another. You see, our identity has been changed. And so as a church, when we celebrate, we are to celebrate together. Yet at the same time, when we hurt, we hurt together. Why? Because we are all a part of the family of God. As Christians in here, we are all brothers and sisters who have been adopted into God's family. That's why Epaphroditus is a brother. Paul goes on to describe him as a a fellow worker. You see, Paul and and Epaphroditus labored over the same mission. Paul saw Epaphroditus as an equal because they both worked together for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so for Paul, one was not greater than the other. Paul then calls him a, a fellow soldier. Now again, here is Paul's favorite analogy. You read any of his letters At some point, it's going to circle back around to some sort of military analogy, probably because he was under house arrest, surrounded by the imperial guard, and so he was surrounded by military pomp and circumstance each and every day. So for Paul, both him and Epaphroditus were men who had been in battle together. They had been in spiritual war together. They were on the same mission together. And it was during this battle, during this war, in the midst of this mission, that Epaphroditus had become sick, he had been wounded, and he was now being sent home to recover and to rest. But notice Paul's not done there. Paul calls Epaphroditus a messenger and a minister. You see, Paul acknowledges that Epaphroditus was sent with a mission to convey the love of the church to Paul and to give a gift to Paul. And so by using the word minister here, Paul now reveals that Epaphroditus worshiped God by serving Paul and also by serving others in the mission and ministry of what was happening in Rome. So Paul tells us through his words that we need more worshipers who worship through service. I got to ask you a question. In in hearing these words this morning, whether it's a brother or a fellow worker or a soldier or a messenger or a minister, do any of these words describe us today? Can we say this of another family member this morning? Better yet, can it be said of us? Now, Paul's going to continue from there in verse 26, and he's going to tell us of Epaphroditus, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Now, I want you to think about these words for just a moment. Think about what what Paul is saying for a moment. Epaphroditus was the one who was sick, but at the same time, he wasn't concerned about himself. 
rather notice that he was concerned about the anxiety of the Philippians. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about how we respond when we get sick. I mean, just pause for a moment. I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you guys. When I get sick, my first thought is not for the people around me. And you're probably the same way. You know what my first thought is? My first thought is I want to be in this bed. I want some soup. I want some Sprite. And I want my mama. That is my thought. I mean, it really is. And then my wife, being loving and gracious, comes into me and says, suck it up, buttercup. I'm kidding. She, she gets the soup and Sprite too. But then I hear that as well. She wants me to be tough. But that's what happens. I'm like got a cold, barely a 99 fever, and I'm done. Does anybody share that sentiment with me or is it just me? Thank you. God bless you people for being honest. The rest of y'all are liars. I'm telling you. I know how you are. Don't, don't lie. But notice this about Epaphroditus. When we read these words, we read in the Greek that he anguished for the church at Philippi. He was concerned for them. The same way Jesus Christ anguished in the garden for the people. You see, Epaphroditus still wanted to put others ahead of himself. And even though he was near death, which sounds exactly like Jesus Christ, he still had the people in mind. In fact, the only difference between Epaphroditus and Christ at this moment is this. Christ did experience death. Paul goes on to say in verse 27, he says, indeed, he was ill, near to death. Now, Epaphroditus nearly died in this moment. Yet notice his focus. Notice his focus was still on the mission of God. Notice that his focus was still on serving others. Now, I don't know about you, but this is really convicting for me this morning. And I hope it's convicting for all of us as well. Epaphroditus got sick and almost died, and yet he still wanted to serve. Now, you may be thinking, why is that so convicting for us this morning? Well, I want you to think about this for a, for a moment, okay? This man was sick and nearly died, and he wanted to serve, yet we in the Western church, when we have a rough week, we want to skip church. We want nothing to do with the church. When things get hard, we say, I don't want to go to church today because I don't want to see all those people. When all of a sudden we're having a rough week or a rough couple of weeks, we say, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to worship because I just want to be alone. And what do we do when we're alone? We sit there and sulk when the reality is we need the church. We need to be with the people of God and we need to worship Jesus. Why are we so quick as a Western church to all of a sudden bail on the church when our lives get hard? Man, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it really scares me. And I was challenged by this this past week. But it scares me to think what it's going to be like to be in glory with these brothers. It scares me to think about what it's going to be like to be with the New Testament church when we get into heaven. I mean, think about this for a moment. We're talking about the Acts chapter 2 church where it says they devoted themselves passionately, daily living for worship, for the study of the word, for the taught word, for fellowship, and for praying together. They were doing this on a daily basis. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, all of a sudden their leaders are being persecuted and beaten for it. And then we get further into Acts and we see now the church is being persecuted. And then all of a sudden we're going to show up in glory. And the Western church is going to arrive in glory and we're going to meet with these New Testament believers and they're going to ask us, tell us about your church. And we're going to say this, we got together once a week for an hour and a half. They're going to ask us, was it because you were facing persecution? No. When did you guys get together to pray? They're going to ask us an hour on Sunday afternoons. Again, is it because you face persecution? No. 
Huh. And the thing that we've got to think about for a moment as a church today is this. If we truly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, why is he only worthy of two and a half hours on one day a week? If we really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, how can we look at the New Testament church in Acts and say, look at this church that faithfully gathered together daily? I mean, these were grown men. These were grown women. My fear is we're going to get to glory, and man, we're going to look weak in that moment. And so I'm going to tell you as a church, we need to, we need to take stock of what we're doing. We need to get it together. We've got to stop comparing ourselves to other churches. We've got to stop asking the question, well, why are we not doing it like the church around the corner? Why are we not doing it like this church over there? Listen, that's the mission that God has called them to. But this is where God has us. So how are we faithfully serving right here? We got to stop looking around and, and complaining about silly things. You know, here's the interesting thing about the church at Philippi. Man, those people weren't complaining about their church. They weren't complaining about Paul. They weren't complaining about Timothy. They weren't even complaining about Epaphroditus. They were just being faithful to gather in the midst of the persecution. And yet here we are as a Western church, we complain about carpet. We complain about clothing. We complain about music. Why? If what we're doing is seeking to glorify God, then doesn't it matter that God is the one that's getting all the glory as opposed to our own personal preferences being met? You see, as a church, as members of the body of Christ, we're not going to get to heaven all of a sudden and they say, hey, there's the south side section. Go sit with them, which, by the way, that will be an interesting section. Okay, because I don't know if y'all noticed this or not. I noticed this when I was out of town. There's like a south side Baptist everywhere you go. Have you noticed that? It's like First Baptist, Second Baptist, Southside Baptist. I think that's like the third split. You know what I'm saying? They're just everywhere. There's going to be a lot of us. That's going to be great. But the problem is this. When we get to glory and we're worshiping God, we're going to be doing it together. We're going to be with the body of believers who faithfully served and worshiped at the church at Philippi. And so our goal and our hope as a church is this. We have to be faithful to serve where God has us and to make sure that God is given the glory the way Epaphroditus glorified God, even in the midst of his sickness. But now coming back to our text, notice this about Paul. Paul says of Epaphroditus, he said, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You see, Paul tells us that Epaphroditus recovered because God is merciful. There was no other reason. And so here we see that Paul is acknowledging that we are simply here by the mercy of God. Now again, when Paul uses the phrase, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, Paul here is talking about his grief, but notice he didn't abandon his belief. Paul, Paul didn't abandon his phrase when he said to live as Christ and to die as gain. Rather, Paul understood that grief is a part of God's plan. And so Paul is now showing us again just how much he loves the people. You see, like Epaphroditus and Paul, we need God's mercies every day. The fact that we're gathered here this morning is a mercy bestowed upon us by God. The fact that we're healthy right now, that we're together, this is God's mercy at work. And thankfully, according to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, God's mercies are made new every morning. So God has not only covered our sin, but as we also read in Psalm 103, it is God who heals. And because he heals by his mercy, we can rejoice. You see, as Christians today, we don't deserve God's blessings, but we are recipients of them. 
And that's why God deserves all praise. Now again, coming back to our text, Paul then commands the church to to welcome Epaphroditus with all joy and to honor such men is what the text tells us. Now, again, Epaphroditus faithfully labored for the gospel. And so he should be welcomed in the same way that Christ would welcome him in glory. That's what Paul is telling us. And yet, sadly, when we compare this to our day in the Western church, and we look at not only society, but our church as well, excuse me, we see in the church that it's only the famous and the most talented and the most powerful who are the ones that are being praised. And what Paul teaches us in this moment is that we should honor those who faithfully serve even in the areas that many people think are boring and mundane. You see, as a Christian today, our ultimate goal is to honor Jesus Christ. And by honoring Jesus, we do this when we lift up those who are serving faithfully on mission. But at the same time, not only should we lift up those who are serving faithfully on mission, we should also lift up those and praise those who are faithfully serving in our nursery as well. Why? Because there is no difference in their service in the eyes of God. So what do we learn from Epaphroditus' service? We learn that serving Jesus will cost you, but that cost is worth it. You see, a Christian life is a life that involves sacrifice, whether on mission or whether in the mundane. And yes, it can bring persecution. And yes, it could also mean a sacrifice of our own personal time as well. So here's the truth. Whether we are on mission or whether we are serving the local church, one thing we can always count on as a church is that our relationships around us will grow stronger when we faithfully serve together as the family of God. This is why Paul loved Epaphroditus. This is why Paul could say he loved Timothy because he knew these men. Because he had faithfully served with these men. And I got to tell you, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. But even in our churches today, the, the, the greatest moments of growth that I've ever seen in a Christian's life is when Christians are serving together. Or when Christians go on mission together, they they grow more in their relationship with the Lord. They grow more in their relationship with one another than they do when when they have just a special event or they go off to camp. You see, advancing the gospel where the Lord has us is an easy way to build bonds of friendship within the church. And so many people come to me and they say, Pastor, I feel disconnected. I feel disconnected from the church. And here's the question I ask in return. Where are you serving? You want to get over feeling disconnected in the local church? Then find a place to serve and you will be immediately connected with like-minded people. Coming back to our text, we also learn that Epaphroditus, or we learn from Epaphroditus that the church historically has always been sustained, it's always grown, it's always been encouraged by the unsung heroes within the church. You see, we don't know much about Epaphroditus. We knew he was sick, we knew he helped Paul, we knew he was a fellow worker, a brother, a soldier, a messenger, a minister, and then he was sent home. People like that rarely get noticed. Notice Epaphroditus didn't write a book. Notice he didn't have a podcast. Rather, he was just simply faithful right where God had him. You see, that's my prayer for our church this morning. Is that we would be faithful servants who seek to glorify God right where God has us. Now, don't mishear me on this this morning. Yes, let's send missionaries. I'm all for that life. Yes, let's plant churches. That that ultimately is the goal. But yes, as a local church, let's be faithful in the small things right where God has us. 
You see, Timothy and Epaphroditus are living examples that we can look to when it comes to what it means to be a faithful servant of the Lord. And it's through their example that we see that we don't, we don't have to be extraordinary. We don't have to do extraordinary things to be faithful to God. Rather, we are simply called to serve and be faithful right where the Lord has us. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we faithful in our service? Do we seek our own glory or do we seek the glory of God? Do we look to the needs of others or are we looking to our own needs? Man, if you want another example to follow, then let me encourage you. Look beyond Timothy. Look beyond Epaphroditus. Look beyond Paul. Look to Jesus Christ. Because it was our Lord who emptied himself in humble service for people like you and me. It was our Lord who was faithful even to the point of being obedient to death on a cross. So we have to ask ourselves, does our life reflect that same humble sacrifice? When we think of Christian service, do we think of unity rooted in humility? My prayer is that we would not make up our own definition of what service is, that we would not make up our own definition of what service looks like. Rather, we would look to the word of God, that we would see what the word of God says when it comes to the definition of service, and that we would look to the examples worth watching that are given to us by the word of God. Let's be faithful. Let's be faithful to serve right where God has us and let's give God the glory. Let's pray together.